Is That Really in the Bible presents the teaching ministry of David Freeman. Well, good afternoon. I want to welcome, welcome the uh, CD program. I was getting ready to say tape program. We used to do cassette tapes. We used to put cassette tapes out at stores and little trays we would sit out, and out outreach material and, and sermon tapes at stores. But those things have long since gone by the wayside. I, uh, we actually, a long time ago, we purchased a bunch of duplicators, cassette duplicators. And uh, basically we found out that, I guess the guy was ahead of us as far as the reason he was selling them because he basically knew that the CD was gonna take its place very quickly. And so now here we are with CD uh, to carry our, our uh, audio messages, but, uh, and soon it will be something else, like a USB port or whatever, a USB uh, stick. But anyway, uh, what I want to talk about today is the perfect father. Now, if I ask you the question, how many of you had a perfect father? And I'm not, I'm not talking about, you know, God the father. I'm talking about your earthly father. Now, really, I would expect no hands to go up because, um, you know, I don't know how many perfect functional family systems there are in our society. You know, someone said that there are no perfect functional family systems, that every family has its dysfunction in some area. <clears throat> and I would say that's very true. Every family does have its dysfunction in some area. Now, as I go through this, this is not to blame your parents or your father or anything like that. It's, you know, it's, it's not to say I'm pointing the finger at them or anything like that. I don't want to go there. But basically in my uh, family, I, I almost want to say I had an absentee father. It was not that he was not there. You know, he just, we just, I mean, he just never really took the time with me. I was the last uh, child to come along. And I often think the firstborn gets the most attention, I would say. But, and it was not that he was a, he was a, uh, it was not that he was a bad man or a bad father or anything like that. Uh, he was a good provider, a good provider. Now there is an illusion out there that <clears throat> I think some fathers can fall into as long as I am a good provider. And I'm not knocking that. I'm not saying that's not important. I mean, nobody wants a deadbeat father that doesn't work. But the, delu the illusion is, as long as I am a good provider, I will be a good father. That's not necessarily true. It takes, it takes a little bit more than that to be a good father, just, just simply, you know, providing for your family. And so, you know, the idea is I go to work, work, on, you know, work 8, 10, 12 hours a day. I come home, sit on the couch, don't pay anyone any attention. Don't pay my wife any attention. She cooks supper, or I eat, you know, go to bed, whatever. That's that. Now, there, there, there's uh, more to being a good father than just being a provider. For me, I really didn't know my father. Uh, I remember there was a creek where we used to go down to and get some sand for our work that we did. We did masonry work and we made precast stone. And, then, and down at this creek was this beautiful white sand that we would use to mix up our color with. The reason, the reason we used it was because it was pure white. It was like white like salt. And we would gather that stuff up. And my father, me and my father on a rare occasion was down there and he, 
he put his hands in the water and he looked at me and he, he just shook his head and he said, you know, you're almost grown now and, and we didn't get to do the things that, you know, maybe I promised that we would do and, and, and here you are, a young teenage man and, and it, I, I could tell that it, his expression, his tone of voice, that it hurt him deeply that how quick the time had flown by. Then I remember actually leaving home and I had an old Chevrolet truck, long bed truck, piece of junk, and we were loading up a kitchen table at my sister's house, which my sister lived right below my parents, and <clears throat> she had given us this kitchen table with scratches all over it, and, uh, but it was the best that we could do. And uh, I think my mother told me, she, 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 you know, he, she said, you know, David's leaving. This, this, he's, we had built our home, and this would be the last time I ever was at my parents' home. And he, the look that came over his face, I mean, he came that over there and talked to me. And to this day, I, I can feel in my heart the emotional pain that he was feeling. Because he realized, okay, that's it. The last child is gone. The last child is moving away. And uh, <clears throat> I have a, a unique gift, although I think it's a curse sometimes, of feeling other people's emotions. You know, I, I don't, don't necessarily like that. I wouldn't recommend it for others, but for me, it's a reality, uh, feeling other people's emotions. And it was, he was feeling uh, deeply hurt at that time because I was leaving. And then we have, you know, <clears throat> defining moments and uh, that I think mold and shape us. Uh, I remember one defining moment where my father wanted me to go to the ticket booth and I was probably nine, ten years old and I was shy, scared, scared little boy, I guess. Didn't like talking to people. Still don't like talking to people, actually. But uh, it's amazing. I'm, I'm, I guess talking to a group is different, but one-on-one, uh, -on -one, whatever, never did like that. But... Uh, <clears throat> But he told me to go to the ticket booth to ask the price of a ticket, and I didn't want to go. And I kept hemming and hauling, and he just finally said, "Okay, go back." You know, go. You know, he said, "I'll go do it." And as he was walking up there, I ran up behind him, wanting to help. I guess wanting him to maybe teach me how to do this. And he turned around. And he said, "Just go back to your mother. Just go back to your mother." And 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 I I I think as a child back then, I interpret that as rejection, as uh, rejection. And in a book I, I, I've been reading uh, by Mark DeJesus, he says rejection's number one mission is to project a sense of separation from the love of the Father. Rejection teaches us, teaches you to earn love and acceptance or not bother trying at all. Most people bounce back and forth between the two, you know, to either earn this love or not bother trying at all. You know, just forget it. Okay, all right. And uh, it's from a book exposing, by Mark DeJesus, Exposing the Rejection Mindset. Now, I want to read you a little story about rejection. And, and uh, some of you may be able to relate, some may not. Uh, just depends on what type of family system you came from. This is sort of a sad one. Divorce, and divorce is always, it was Billy Graham that said you can't, about divorce, he said you can't unscramble an egg. He likened divorce like trying to unscramble an egg. 
But uh, he, he's in Mark DeJesus' book, Reject the Rejection Mindset, he said, he's telling the story of James. James said to me, he said, my dad told me he loved me all the time. Hearing the words, I love you, was not the problem. What brought deep pain and unresolved sorrow to James' heart was that his biological father never acted on those words. The phrase, I love you, actually became a cheap set of letters put together. His father left home when he was very little. When he was very little. In the process of separating from his mom, James' dad promised he would stop by to pick up the boy on a regular basis so they could hang out together. His father did not follow up on his word. He would promise to drive over and pick up James at noon on Saturday. 11.45 would arrive and James would be at the steps waiting with his suitcase in hand. Noon would arrive and pass by. 2015 would, 12.15, excuse me, would move by and mom would quietly suggest, James, I, I don't think he's coming. Do you want to come inside? No. He said, he's coming. So that means he's coming. 12.30, No sign of James' father. He's going to be here. He'll be here. I know he's coming. These thoughts raced through his mind. As each car, car would appear and pass the house, his heart would jump, thinking his father was arriving, finally arriving. Instead, every car passing became a solid blow of rejection, abandonment, and disappointment to his heart. Um, so, in his book, he says the two main targets of rejection is, the first is to prevent, prevent the unconditional love of the Father from being experienced. The second thing, key area, is the rejection attacks our identity. We don't know who we are. We don't know who we are. Now, I want you to think about those two areas of, you know, rejection, uh, the family system that you came out of, you know, whether it was good or bad, or maybe you can relate to the story, maybe you can't, you know, but uh, a rejection in and of itself, uh, prevent the un it prevents the unconditional love of the Father God from being experienced, and second, uh, rejection attacks our identity. We don't know who we are. In Luke 11 and verse 2, and he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father, which are in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as earth, uh, in earth, in heaven. Thy will be done as in heaven, so on in earth. Okay, let me get that right. So here we are, we are to address God as our Father. When you pray, say, our Father. And I sort of think you can only address God as to the pattern that you addressed your physical Father. What kind of feelings, you know, your feelings toward God? Well, okay, how do you feel toward God, your father? Well, what kind of emotions did you have toward your earthly parent, your earthly father? Was there an emotional connection with your earthly father? Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Again, I tell my story, you know, it was, it was not that my father was bad. He was a great provider. I just didn't know the man. Just didn't know him. Um... So feelings, uh, you can only hear from God, the Father, was there in your earthly father, was there communication? 
You know, we're talking about, you know, you can only address God, the Father, as to the pattern that you address your physical father. Okay, well, was there communication between you and your father? Or did you talk at all? Was there any communication between you and your father? You can only enjoy God. We're talking about the pattern. Again, the, 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 the pattern that you addressed your physical father. You can only enjoy God. Uh, to the degree of the pattern that you enjoyed your father. Did you have fun together, you know, at, with your father? Or was the relationship more like legalism, you know, do this, don't do that, you know, correction, uh, whatever. But did, did, did you have fun together? I remember one of my regrets of my father was, uh, I guess many regrets maybe that he had, had with me was that he knew I loved motorcycles and he talked about when he was younger, he actually had a motorcycle, but he talked about getting a motorcycle and riding together, and that was a great hope that never came true between me and my father. And then there was, again, you know, child-rearing, it's such a short little span. It just boom, zips by before you know it. Uh, the greatest need for healing goes back to our relationship with our parents. The majority of our wounds stem back to these foundational relationships. Now, again, it's not to blame I don't want to just, you know, some blame game. Your parents may be dead, for that, for that matter. Our parents were not God. And, and I think that is, I'm going to touch on that toward the end of this message. And we need to realize that. We need to identify that. You know, that, that, that no one is expecting you to, to think of your parents as gods or the perfect father or anything like that. The problem is we interpret our relationships with our parents and we transpose the, that relationship over to God, our Father. That's the problem. Let me, let me repeat that. We interpret our relationships with our parents and we transpose that relationship over to God, our Father, and we think, okay, this is the way God is. It's the healing of our hearts that has been waiting to happen for a long time. And one of the ways that healing takes place is by realizing you have a perfect Father in heaven. And one of the things you want to do is quit transposing that relationship onto God. Because I did that, I think, for a long time. I always thought, okay, I've sinned again. And that image of rejection came back to me when I would go to God. Of my father turning to me when I ran up behind him and saying, go back. Go back to your mother. You know, and I always thought, <clears throat> okay, uh, because I've sinned again, one day God's going to do that. God's going to just say, go, go, I, I can't tolerate this anymore. You know, and, and again, we all get frustrated at our kids. I mean, I, you know, but, you know, I mean, what parents doesn't get frustrated at their kids from time to time? We all do. <clears throat> so when I look at three areas of a healthy home environment, I want to ask, did you, did you have this? Number one, acceptance and approval. The home needs the voice of the Father's love, acceptance and approval. It must be spoken regularly. I love you. You're a good son, daughter. I love you, princess. I'm proud of you. Did you hear that in your family? Now, in my family, it was not that I didn't doubt that my parents loved me, but they never said it. They, they just, you know, they grew up and uh, my mother grew up pretty much in the Grand Depression, recession or whatever. They picked cotton. She had a, a, a non-emotional father herself. 
who never uttered the words and couldn't utter the words. So in our family system, you know, uh, I love you is something that we didn't hear. I didn't doubt it, but, but it, what Mark says in his book, Mark DeJesus, he says it's critical that you hear that in your family system. And I, I know in our family, with Rebecca, our daughter, that it just came natural. We just, it just came natural. I mean, I don't know why it came natural. I didn't learn it from my parents, but, but uh, you know, I love you. I love you. You know, just uh, we, we tell each, each other that still, to, you know, to this very day. Uh, uh, so verbalizing that, I think, is uh, critical. So you may want to consider that. Second healthy home uh, uh, environment is provide, the father provides a covering any man that takes a position of healthy leadership establishes a blanket of covering to the household. They feel safe and protected in their journey, knowing that dad has their back. You might ask, was that the environment you grew up in? Your father, your parents had your back. Third, identity. The third healthy home environment is, is your identity. It's the father's job to tell you and to show you who you are. Without the establishment of a proper identity, one will flounder back and forth in life without a steady rudder. <clears throat> How true it is. Identity. So you may want to consider those three areas. Did you have them? And he says in his book, the majority of people on the planet have not experienced these blessings from their father. It's sad. It really is. Now again, I don't want you to, I want you to consider this. I don't want you to beat yourself up. I don't want you to look at yourself. Well, I wasn't a good father in this area and, that, and in that area. You know, the problem is with fathering, parenting, no one taught us how to be a good father. You know, you, you pretty much picked that up from your own experience with your parents. I mean, you can only pass on what you, what you don't know. You don't know that you don't know it. You know, so you can only pass these things on and no one taught us how to be a good father, a good mother, whatever. None of us come from a perfect functional family system. I, you know, I really don't know what it would take as a father to re represent God the Father. In fact, I think it's impossible. In other words, to, to be a perfect father on this earth, is, is me being a perfect father, is that possible? No, no. no I, I, I thought I was a pretty good father, but, but, you know, with our daughter, Rebecca, me and my wife, I thought I was a pretty good father, but I, I made mistakes. I wasn't perfect. <clears throat> but, but things, I just want to list a few things. Forgiveness. Yeah, I think that's important. I think asking for forgiveness, asking for forgiveness from your wife, uh, asking for forgiveness if you make a mistake from, from your children, your daughter, your son. I think that's important. Correction, yeah, that's important. Whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Communication, communication is, is talking, you know, uh, having a good time together. You know, we, we did a lot of things together as a family and when, growing up with our daughter. I mean, we, we, we went a lot of places. I was self-employed. I was blessed to be able to take off time. And we just did a lot exploring caverns, going, you know, uh, uh, going to this place, that place. We did a lot of things together as a family. Um, <clears throat> sacrifice is another thing that it would take to be a really good parent, a good father. You know, uh, sacrifice, homeschooling. That was a decision that we made, uh, you know, 
Um, you know, one of the things that, I, let me just mention that, when Rebecca came along, me and my wife were both in the church of God. Both, both had been baptized. That too was a, a great blessing because we were on the same page. We were on the same page. And uh, so we made the decision to homeschool. That was a sacrifice. Teresa would be a stay-home mom. Financially, you know, that was a sacrifice. You know, sacrifice. Okay. I remember one time our daughter started picking up. It was, she was watching, watching the Disney Channel. And that, this was 20 years ago. Imagine what you'd see today. But it was a show, What About Raven? It was a smart aleck black girl that just always running off at the mouth. And uh, I noticed my daughter, our daughter started, started picking up on some saying stuff that I did not like. And uh, I knew where she was getting it from. So the sacrifice was I, I crawled up on the roof the next day, took that satellite dish off and threw it off the roof. Just pung, and it crumbled into you know, a big old dish. You know, it bent in two, and I took the receiver and threw it in the dumpster. I called the cable company. I said, I want to cancel my cable. Oh, no, you don't want to cancel your cable. We got some hot stuff. <clears throat> I said, hot's the problem. It's too hot. And cancel my subscription. And so the sacrifice, and, and for me, I, I was never, uh, you know, I had to have my sports. I don't even like sports, you know. I mean, I can't even tell you who's, who's playing the Super Bowl or who won the race, or, and neither do I care. Uh, basketball, football, I don't care. I don't care about any of that stuff. So it wasn't that much of a sacrifice for me just to cancel my cable. It would be for some people, I guarantee you that. But what I was amazed at is get rid of the source, get rid of the problem. And, and within days, within days, once I got rid of the source, she was watching, got rid of the problem. There was no longer this smarting off or anything like that. It's, it's just amazing how quick that worked. You know, uh, uh, love, but what is love? Well, children spell love, T-I-M-E, time together. Again, we did a lot of things together. Another issue was Sabbath and Holy Days. Uh, you know, that's important uh, in, in parenting. I think, uh, you know, there's no better way to teach respect for God than, than as a family system that's what you're doing. You know, we respect God's Sabbath. We respect God's holy day. Therefore, we're going to church. We're going to, so as a child, as a little baby, she was taken to church all the time because both of us were in the church when she was born. I know the list comes up short, <clears throat> but again, no one told us how to be the perfect parent or the perfect, perfect father. And what you don't know, you don't know that you don't know it. Now in Hebrews 1 and verse 5, it says, for unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee. And again, I will be a father, and he shall be to me a son. Now, that's powerful. You know, speaking of Jesus Christ, the father says, look, he's going to be, I'm going to be a father to him. He's going to be my son. But then the transition is made where I think it starts to talk to us as children of God. Hebrews 1 and verse 13. <clears throat> but which of the angels said he at any time, sit at my right hand until I make thy enemy thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits, talking about the angels, sent forth to minister to them who shall be heirs of salvation? Who is that? That's you and me, heirs of salvation. And so what God says to, him, to us, his children, I'm going to be your father. You're going to be my son, my daughter. Okay. Romans 8 verse 15, for you have not received the bondage of, again, to fear. 
bond, receive the spirit of bondage, uh, uh, again, the fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And because, uh, Galatians 4 and verse 6, and because you are sons, God has sent for the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. And it can be sad that we learn about the Father God from, from the family system. I've often thought what Satan wants to destroy most is the family system. With all of the confusion that goes on in our society today, same-sex marriage, gender confusion, abortion, the outrage, we have a right to murder our unborn children, and basically it's being used as a, abortion is being used as a means of birth, as a means of birth control, but the outrage is incredible. But there are some people who cannot even pray to a Father God because of, well, because of rejection, like the story that I read to you earlier. They don't know how to even relate to God as a Father. Now, I want to look at a verse here in, in John 16 and verse 23. It says, And in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask in the Father, in, ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Hereunto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask, and, it shall, and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. This is a direct, what, what Christ is encouraging, is a direct relationship with the Father. We communicate with the Father. We go in Jesus' name, yes, I understand that. But Jesus is not going to pray to the Father for you. Okay? He, he's not, you know, he's not, well, let's notice what it says here. John 16, verse 26. At that day you shall ask in my name. And I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. Notice that. And I don't say to you, I'm going to pray for the Father for you. I'm not going to do that. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came out from God. So when, what Jesus is saying is when I ascend, you will not ask me for your needs. You will go to the Father. You will go in my name. That's your access. You go to the top level. The top level. So, how do we, you know, the, the love chapter tells us love is patient. Love is kind. And I think a lot of times we look at this and we think, well, maybe I don't fit all these categories. Maybe I don't, I don't have all this. I don't have the love I need. I need more love. But I want you to consider these are the characteristics of God, the Father. He is patient. He is kind. He's not boastful or envious or arrogant, rude, doesn't insist in his own way. He's not resentful. He doesn't rejoice when you in wrongdoing or when you make mistakes, but rejoices in the truth. He bears all things. The Father believes all things. He hopes all things, endures all things. His love never ends. I sometimes think we need to read that a little bit differently as far as the love chapter. Read it from these are the characteristics of God our Father. So I want to closing points here about uh, <clears throat> the Father. I mentioned earlier that the problem is we interpret our relationships with our parents and we transpose those, that relationship over to God our Father. You know, I mentioned that 
I always had, when I sinned, I had a problem with rejection because of that moment of rejection that I experienced with my father. And I was transposing onto to, to, uh, God something that had happened in my physical existence with my father. And it was interesting, I was talking to my sister, and of course she heard this, this message before, and she said, I never did that. I, 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 just, I just never looked at my, you know, as God and made the comparison uh, 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 to my father. And you know, I got to thinking about that. At first I told her she was strange, that she didn't do that, but I thought, you know, that's a healthy relationship. Because our, our earthly parents, all they had was, was, in some cases, the dysfunction that reared them. Then you'd have to go back into their families and their parents and their grandparents and all, 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 and, and you see how they were molded and shaped. Why would we expect, you know, some kind of perfect family environment? And, and why would we transpose what happened back then onto our Father God who is perfect? You know, we shouldn't do that, is my point. We shouldn't be transposing that. It's, it's, I think it's a deception. It may be nothing more than a deception that Satan uses to distance you from God the Father. So, closing points about the Father. We have a Father that is perfect, God the Father. A Father that will never reject you. I had to learn that. A Father that will never reject you. A Father that wants to communicate with you. A father that wants to have fun together. You know, I've had struggle, a lot, big struggle in my ministry of just having fun. You know, I, I can never measure up. My message can never message, it's never gonna be good enough, you know. Often I would give a message and I'd just tear it apart afterwards. And so it's taken, I'm still working on it, you know, having fun doing what I'm doing. Having fun ministering. Uh, a father that calls you a friend, a father that loves you, a father that forgives you, a father that is proud of you, a father that will never leave you nor forsake you, a father that says, ask me whatever you need and I will give it to you. Come directly to, you know, direct access to the Father God. Ask me for whatever you need. You know, Jesus said, I'm not, I'm not going to do it for you. You go directly to the Father. Ask me whatever you need and I will give it to you. We have the perfect Father. If you would like more information or if you have any questions, write to Is That Really in the Bible? 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia 24151. Or visit us on the web at is that really in the Bible dot net?